0: I think it was very important to read those last verses in the book of Genesis because as you turn the next page, or based on how your Bible's um, laid out, as you look to the page to the right, there begins the book of Exodus. And the book of Exodus is dominated by the life and actions. Of Moses and and arranged around two outstanding redemptive acts the exodus from Egypt and the establishment of God's covenant at Sinai. In fact, Moses and these events are so fundamental to the understanding of God's plan for redemption, of redeeming even you and me. That it could be argued by many that much of the Bible is a dialogue that reacts to, explains, implements, and elaborates even further the redemptive plan of God as it began to be revealed in the book of Exodus. So what we're going to do for the next eight weeks is actually engage for seven weeks, up through chapter seven of the, of the book of Exodus, right before Aaron and, and Moses get to tell Pharaoh what's God's words to Pharaoh. But we're going to explore Moses's journey of faith that led up to that point. Was it a perfect journey of faith? Absolutely not. And yet, By faith, by God's redemptive purposes, God used Moses to be an instrumental person in leading his people out of Egypt. And that journey only took a couple days, right? For those of you that know that story, what? It was 40 years. And in fact, one point, God's people, can you imagine God's people grumbling and complaining? I have no idea what that's like. No. They said, we want to go back to where? We want to go back to Egypt. At least we know what to expect. And so there is no doubt that all of us are on a faith journey right now. And we may be having a hard time. We may feel like we're wandering 40 years in the desert or longer. We don't know what God's up to in our lives or in the world around us as we look out into it every day that God gives us. But by faith, friends, I hope, by faith, I hope that we can engage God's word together, learn and grow together from God's true story to us about Moses. What is this faith? What is this faith that Moses demonstrated, even amidst all the starts and stops of his life journey? What is this faith? How would you begin to define faith? We can turn to Scripture. We can maybe have that favorite definition that we heard someone share or we came up with in our quiet times, but how would you even begin to define spiritual or godly or Christ-centered faith? One definition that I came across, and I'll share with you this morning, it's the power of putting self aside that God may work unhindered through you. It's the power of putting ourselves, in other words, we need to get out of the way. And just say, as we just sang, lift those holy hands, right? And say, Holy Spirit, take over. God, work through me. I'm trusting. I'm having faith that even though I don't humanly understand, I trust that you are sovereign, that you are in control. And yet, you know what's best for me. You know what's best for Good Shepherd in the days and weeks and months ahead. You know what's best in the midst of the conflict in the Middle East. You know what's best even in the midst of the messiness. And so, friends, as we look at Moses, we might begin to understand in the opening pages of the the book of Exodus that Moses may have had a commanding feature of mind and body And having been well-versed in all the learning of his time. I mean, as Ahmad referenced, he grew up in in Egypt. He he grew up with the confidence and trust of the Pharaoh. And he might have been well-versed in languages and wisdom and understanding and even grace. Yet... The marvelous outcome of his life's ministry and work was not due to any of his qualities, but to the faith which knit his soul to God. By Moses' faith that knit his soul to God. That was Moses' fuel. That was Moses' guidance. But as Lisa just read for us from Genesis chapter 50, I ask another question before we get to Moses. How familiar are you with the life story of Joseph, which concludes with his death in Egypt? We just heard that. I think it's important that we encounter the faithfulness of God through Joseph's life story as it ends. And also, as we begin to explore Moses' life story, even before Moses is born, and that's what we're going to look at in just a couple minutes in Exodus chapter 1, Moses is not even born yet, and God's faithfulness is on display Today in Exodus chapter 1, the Lord prepared the way for Moses to breathe life through the hearts and hands of dear courageous women. Two women, we're going to find out, were very courageous and faithful to God first to allow Moses to even take that breath of life. While he was in his mother's womb, I believe that spiritual warfare, he was facing the forces of evil because the enemy knew what God was doing in and through the life of Moses. God's leadership plan was definitely being forged in the fire. God was at work faithfully even in the midst of the challenges and brokenness of this world. How many more reminders, friends, yes, that we need, or do we need? How many more reminders do we need that our world is broken? I reached out to our tour guide, Mike, Mr. Mike, for those of you that were in the Holy Land with me now almost a year ago. I reached out to Mr. Mike yesterday and just said, Prayers ascending. And he said, Thank you, brother. Israel and Hamas are at war. Is God still faithful, friends? It's hard to see sometimes, especially we might be able to see it easier than those that are right in the thick of it. And so God is faithful. Moses' life story, and we're not going to walk through all of Exodus, so maybe you'll get curious and keep reading, I pray. I just hope you have a courageous Authenticity of just wanting to to read about the story of Moses and Aaron and Joshua. But let's pray as we begin to encounter God's word together this morning. So, dear Jesus, we do thank you for your holy and inspired word to us. Today begins the story of your faithfulness as the life of Joseph. Ends, a torch is passed until the next person which you prepared to lead your people in times of uncertainty and hardship. And so you are that same God. We often sing a song here called Same God. You are that same God, Lord, that was present in the life of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and Moses. And you are that same God that seeks each of us out, even today, amidst the joys and concerns that we hold in our hearts and minds. And so we pray that as we encounter your word together, that your Holy Spirit would deepen our faith, would begin a journey of faith, Lord Jesus, to follow you, wherever we're at on that spectrum, Lord, have your own way. With each of us here today, with those of us connecting online, and those who may even be listening or viewing this word later. And so we thank you for that, and we pray it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Page 47 in your pew Bibles, isn't that interesting, Lisa? It's one page after the, page 46. (laughs) Because the story continues. In Exodus chapter 1, and I want to read the first seven verses to you, and then, and then we're going to begin with verse 8, and then we're going to take a detour. <laughs> so stay tuned. You with me? Just no sleeping out there. <laughs> I know it's warm. I know it's warm. But God's word says to us, Exodus chapter 1, verse 1, these are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob. Each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied, greatly increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. And now verse 8. Why do I want to spend some time with a detour after I read verse 8? What does verse 8 say to us? Then a new king, or Pharaoh, then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. We're just going to stop right here for a few minutes. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Now imagine this. If you you know the story of Jacob flowing out of the lineage of Abraham, or Joseph flowing out of the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, here's Joseph in Egypt. Standing before his father Jacob as clear evidence of God's sovereign power over even the worst of evils. Joseph, the lost son, the victim of his brother's wickedness who had become the savior of the family and the nations around Egypt. But more often than not, only eternity will reveal how God redeemed every evil Joseph knew. And friends, do we encounter evil as well? Absolutely. In the time between our earthly lives and heaven, we walk by faith and not by sight because we know that the Lord is unfailingly with us and for us in Christ. Joseph meant nothing to this new king. This new pharaoh came to power in Egypt. This Joseph who served in the pharaoh's household, who was raised in pharaoh's household, who was given positions of privilege in pharaoh's household. Yes, he died, but this new king, Joseph, meant nothing. Through it all, Joseph stands out as one of the most attractive figures in the Bible, a man who overcame traumatic circumstances that would have crushed or at least crippled most people. And if you don't know the story of Joseph, engage it in the book of Genesis. Some of you right now who have know this story or read this story before, you're thinking of scenes. You're thinking of moments in Genesis because you know Joseph. I mean, After the evil perpetrated upon him by his brothers, he he lived a remarkable healthy and attractive life. One that certainly wasn't due to a warm and nurturing environment. Born into a badly broken, dysfunctional family, deprived of his mother's love through her untimely death when he was a young teenager, hated with murderous jealousy by his brothers, kidnapped, Falsely accused and imprisoned of all these things could have made Joseph a prime candidate, friends, for brokenness and bitterness. Instead, he emerged as a healthy, godly, and productive human being. His leadership, just as we'll see Moses' over these coming weeks, was forged in the fire. God's hand was clearly on Joseph, protecting and preserving him through troubled times, and at the very lowest points of his life, he heard four times in Genesis chapter 39, the Lord was with him. 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 him." Friends, do you believe that Jesus is with you today? Even though there's questions you have, The Lord was with Joseph. And from the text that Lisa read, verse 24 of Genesis 50, Joseph said, I am about to die, but God will visit and bring you up out of this land to the land he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. Friends, Joseph believed that God was a faithful God. And I think Joseph would have agreed with the inscriptions on the tomb of John and Charles Wesley in Westminster Abbey. You know what's on their tomb? God buries his workmen and workwomen. God buries his workmen, but carries on his work. God buries his workmen, but carries on his work. Joseph would have agreed with that. Joseph was basically telling his brothers, their families, that God will visit you. God will be faithful and you will enter the land that God has promised. The writer of Hebrews saw Joseph's final request as the epitome of his faith. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. And who was going to lead the people out of Egypt? Moses. His dying words were the product of an undying faith. He didn't know Moses, obviously, but he knew that God would keep his promises and very interesting in exodus chapter 13 verse 19 we hear this moses took the bones of joseph with him for joseph had made the sons of israel solemnly swear and then as i mentioned for more than 40 years the israelites carried that coffin through the wilderness and finally into the promised land under the leadership of joshua So Joseph plays a key role in the story of Moses. Do you see that? Do you begin to see that? And in Exodus chapter 1, then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Joseph wasn't even on the radar of Pharaoh. Verse 9. Look, he said to his people, The Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous and if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies' fight against us and leave the country. So they put the slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor and they built Pithom and Ramses, a store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields and all their harsh labor. The Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. And so friends, here we begin to see because Joseph's name was literally erased from the person in power. There was no connection. And there was a concern that some others might rise up and take power in Egypt. And so everything was being done to try to suppress the Israelites. First, we're going to make them work day and night. We're going to make them work hard We're going to move them from the shepherd's fields to making bricks. We're going to move them from green pastures to dirt and hard labor and sweat. Verse 15, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives whose names were Shifra and Puah When you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool if you see that baby is a boy kill him but if it is a girl let her live The midwives however feared God and did not want to, and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do they let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? In other words, there was still concern that even though they had shifted them from the fields to building things, hard labor, this still wasn't going to solve the problem. And so to see evil take another step Basically, the Pharaoh said, if it's a baby boy, what? Kill him. Now, I'm sure that Shifra and Pua were not the only Hebrew midwives, but they were probably older. They were probably older and had some sort of responsibility over caring for those who were in labor. And I find it very interesting that God's word lifts out and names them, names them specifically. I mean, if you continue to read through the book of Exodus, you'll you'll hear about the elders of Israel. None of the elders of Israel were even named. But who was named? These two Hebrew midwives. I mean, heck, even I have my name on a picture out there in the lobby and the other elders and deacons and staff. But Shiphrah and Pua, they would not kill boys. Verse 19. The midwives answered Pharaoh... Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. Now, whether that's a white lie, I have no idea. <laughs> Under the sovereignty of God <laughs> and God's grace. I mean, it, it is interesting. You can find more Study and commentary on this because it was a different uh, race of people maybe they did give birth faster than the Egyptians but I think um, I think I'm just sticking that they maybe said that with tongue-in-cheek to Pharaoh. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. So do you get this? Hard labor isn't working. Having the midwives... Kill baby boys isn't working. Verse 22 ends chapter 1 telling us this. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the where? The Nile. But let every girl live. Friends, Shifra and Pua gave life to not only Moses, as we'll find out, but they gave life to these dear children. They prepared the way with unwavering faith in God, that they were going to trust what God directed them to do and not what Pharaoh wanted. And so, friends, friends, this morning... By faith. May our eyes be focused on one far greater than Joseph. May our eyes be focused far on one far greater than Moses, who we'll learn about in the weeks ahead. But I find it interesting, getting back to Joseph for a minute, Bible scholars have pointed to ways in which the story of Joseph seems to anticipate our Lord Jesus Christ. The one chosen by God is despised and rejected by his own family who plot to take his life. Yet in God's plan, the victim sold by his brothers and falsely accused becomes the deliverer who saves the very ones who rejected him. And that awesome faithfulness of Joseph... Spilled over into the generations that came after him. Spilled over into the hearts and minds of Shifra and Pua, Spilled over into a baby that we'll find that was born and saved by God's redeeming grace next week, a baby named who? All right, you're paying attention. And so, friends, as we seek follow Jesus we journey on we journey on looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith he doesn't simply inspire us although that's important he empowers us to live faithfully all the way home Jesus inspires us to live faithfully all the way home none of us here know None of us know when that day will be when we take our last breath and enter, as it says in John chapter 14, the Father's house, and ultimately in the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells, 2 Peter, we will experience all that our triune God has prepared for those who love him. Friends, Joseph is enjoying that promise. Moses is enjoying that promise, and the list could go on. Just read Hebrews chapter 11. One day I will experience that promise by God's grace. And my prayer is hopefully you will experience that promise that God is faithful in life and in death. We belong to who? Jesus Christ. And I pray that you will experience that promise as well. So friends, I want to pray for us today. And I'll ask you to join me at the end in the Lord's Prayer. That by faith, we're going to follow God's story. We're going to follow the unfolding of God's faithfulness from one generation to the next in the weeks ahead. And as I pray today, I'm going to pause and leave just a a brief moment in silence so that you can lift up in your heart, in your mind, what is on your heart and mind today. And as we do, I want to share that I want you to be praying for Pastor Dave and for his wife Rhonda as she has entered into hospice care just a couple days ago. We want to be praying for our friend and our brother, Dudley Stone, and the loss of his wife, Gail. And you have other pains. You have other worries. You have other concerns. And yet, God's word says we're to live by faith and to trust Him. And it's hard, amen? It's hard. But let's follow the example of men and women in the scriptures that have so faithfully, amidst facing evil, literally. They put their faith in the Lord God and served and followed him. And so Jesus, today is a gift. And we give you thanks for it. And we pray that by faith, By your Holy Spirit, you would strengthen our faith to hold on to you, to follow you and you alone as we seek to interact with our our family, with our friends, with our neighbors, with our co-workers, with our fellow sisters and brothers here. By faith, we trust that you are sovereign and in control. And I pray that the story of Moses that we'll begin to encounter in deeper ways in the weeks ahead, the story that unfolds out of the faithfulness of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the faithfulness as we spent some time on today of Joseph's life and even in death, that you are a faithful God and could do far more abundantly than we can ever ask or imagine. And so we trust you this day and every day that you give us. Hear our hearts and hear our minds, even now in this brief moment of silence. Fill us with your peace, but hear us as we pray. Lord, thank you for who you are. And may we see you, even as we encounter men and women in the pages of Scripture. Even as we encounter the life story of Moses and others in the coming weeks. May we see you and your faithfulness. And so as your disciples, even today, the gift of today, we pray now the prayer that you've taught your disciples to pray, saying, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you're able to stand, let's just sing together this last song, powerful song called The Blessing.